Hello and welcome to Fundamentals, the podcast that explores pop culture one conversation at a time. I am your host, Harley. On this episode, I'm joined by a returning guest to the podcast. He is the co-host of Is Paul Dano OK, Spotlight, and the recently retired Sudden Double Deep. It is Matt Brothers. And Matt has returned to the podcast to join me for Sitcom September and discuss an absolute cult classic in the sitcom landscape, and that is, of course, Arrested Development. Arrested Development is one of those sitcoms that is truly fascinating. It's a show that made a massive impact when it landed in the early 2000s, and then had the unfortunate experience of being cancelled, only to be revived years later via a streaming platform. This did have a very interesting impact on the show, and that is of course something that we get into in this discussion. We do of course talk as well about our favourite characters, moments, the general feel of the series, and a bit of off-topic conversation really related to this about television and reviving series in general. It's a really pleasant chat with Matt, and he's always such fun to talk to, and I hope that you guys enjoy this episode. Well, that's enough from me. Let's just get on with the conversation. This is Arrested Development with Matt Brothers. Hello, Matt, and welcome back to the Fundamentals podcast. Hello, Harley. It's great to be here. How are you? I'm really well, sir. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. We were just saying before recording how long mm. it had been since the last one where I got to talk my beloved Legend of Zelda series. Yes, yeah. And actually, I just remembered you did have a little pop-up on my uh, Star Wars special as well, which I really appreciated. Yes, of course. Yeah. So it's been like just over a year, I think, since the last time we spoke. So yeah, you're still a busy man in the world of podcasting, I can see. Yes, I am. Yes, I'm still. I'm a, well. I'm down to two shows now out of the mm. three. So, uh, Sun Double Deep, which I do with my co-host Daryl Bear, we've recently kind of shuttered the doors on that one for now. Mm. I'll say for now. Yeah, yeah. Um, as that was the one that was requiring uh, watching three films for every episode, yep. and it's a weekly show with um, mm -hmm. sort of bonuses in between. So it's a lot to do. Um, very fun to do because it is just chatting movies. Um, and Daryl, God bless him, he does uh, the bulk of the hosting and the editing across uh, that one and the host of the editing across uh, the one that is remaining, which is, is Paul Dano okay? Yeah. Uh, where we have now actually covered everything Paul Dano's done. Mm -hmm. So until we wait for new stuff to appear, this is, well, this is the show where we, yeah, go through the filmography of actor Paul Dano. We're doing little mini seasons based on other character actors. Uh, and at the time of recording last time, it may have been that our first one focused on Judy Greer, yeah. uh, who is connected to today's episode, uh, was out. And we're just about yep. finishing recording the second one, which is on Clancy Brown, mm. uh, called Won't You Take Me To? Clancy Brown, uh, which <laughs> which has been an absolute blast to do. It's yeah. uh, these these kind of character actors, you know, these ones who you know the face, maybe you know the name, perhaps you don't know both at once, but you've seen them around. Right. Uh, they're fun mini seasons put together because rather than do the entire filmography of this person, we instead, you know, cherry pick eight films mm. where they're front and center. And then in between, if we happen to watch more things that they're in we just kind of do a little roundup at the start of the episode and say what have you seen that we're not covering in full that we can chat about in between so doing it that yeah. way for clancy has meant we've been able to watch quite a lot of his stuff although i say quite a lot mm. and we're still only on about 30 percent of his letterbox but that's after like 30 to 40 movies so <laughs> oh wow yeah i mean that's the thing I, I do like the concept of focusing on these smaller character actors as you say because yeah it just tends to be quite a diverse set of work right 
Yeah, it always is. It's always it's either like you find the odd things where they did get a chance at being the lead, yeah, uh, and often smashed it. And you're like, why is no more people sort of giving them these shots? Um, mm. But then most of the time, you know, the bulk of their work is taking that supporting role uh, and being one of those people who you can go, oh, as soon as they show up, I know I'm in good hands. Like they make everything ten percent better. Uh, right. within, and with someone like Clancy Brown, he's, uh, he's across so much from big blockbusters uh, to all his voice work as well. Like He's someone mm. who really, like Judy Greer as well, actually, because of her work on Archer, of course. But uh, Clancy Brown, yeah. obviously, Mr. Krabs and SpongeBob. So he's been yeah. across that for 23 years, plus all the movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, yeah, popping up all over the show. I mean, who else has been essentially a lead in their HBO show? Because yep. he had Carnival about 20 years ago as well. Uh, whilst also being one of the main cast in an ongoing animated series and popping up in all the films he did. Like he's, uh, Mm. and yet, you know, he probably still can walk down the street for the most part. That's the kind of career or level of fame I would aspire to where, you know, you're Mm. beloved by millions, but, uh, and you're always busy, but you know, you're not an AA lister. Yeah. Yeah. Just enough anonymity to, uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Like you say, go unnoticed and not be mobbed in the supermarket or what have you. Yeah. yeah, what's what's your Clancy credentials? Have you got a favourite of his? Off, off I'm top just of your thinking. Head? I mean, <laughs> you know, SpongeBob for sure. Like the, the Mr. Crab is just amazing, and like you said, the, the fact that he could just quietly do that as like a steady paycheck for like 20 years is amazing. In fact, while we're here, I might just IMDb very quickly. Yeah, I mean, have you seen Shawshank Redemption? One of his biggies. I have. That's the first mm-hmm. one that popped into my head. Was yeah, Shawshank Redemption? Because I mean, again, that's. Is it still number one on IMDb? Is like the best. It always kind of jostles, doesn't it? It's either yeah. that or one of the first two Godfathers that seems to be sat there. Right, right. And you think about that as well. You kind of go, well, that's that's pretty good to be one of the main characters in that film. And he is, of course, incredible in that film. Yeah. Like you say, to have those kinds of roles on your CV, but then not, not necessarily the pressure of, of being a leading man, of just exactly. being able to pop up in whatever you fancy, really. And. Yeah, I'm just having a scroll through. It's we said recently on the show, you know, he's someone who because he's a you know really evil sort of prison warden in Shawshank, but he's also yeah. a prison warden in the Hurricane. But he's a really nice one, so he's someone who's yeah. even when you can argue he's being typecast as this sort of authority figure, he can mm. play both sides of it very very well. I'm just having a scroll through now, and literally, I'm just like, oh yeah, he's in this, he's in this, he's in yeah. this. Um, he does, like you said, a lot of voice work. A lot Most of recently, stuff. of course, John Wick Chapter Four. He pops up in there, so uh, oh, right, you know, bring okay. us right up to date. Yeah, he's a perfect kind of fit for the John Wickerverse. Yeah, I haven't seen that yet. What, what's his role in that? He plays the harbinger, so he's kind of like almost like ah. the referee for people mucking about in this world. So, right, much of that film is about John Wick trying to arrange like an official duel with the with the baddie, so he can take him out in mm. uh, official fashion and. Clancy Brown is sort of the adjudicator of all of that kind of arranging everything, and he just again uh, exudes mm. this this great presence and authority that you're like, yeah, you you could totally, you know, be wandering around in this in this world, sort of adjudicating bouts to the death. <laughs> Amazing! I'm just having a little flick through, and he's in. Okay, so he's the uh, Uka Uka voice in Crash Bandicoot for a couple of yes, games. yeah, he's Neocortex in uh, some yeah, of the old school Neocortex, ones. Yeah. Uh-huh. He's he's in Spyro the Dragon. Like that's pretty awesome. To be fair, he's in a few Batman series. He's oh my goodness, that's just that's too much. That's too, I can't possibly choose. I mean, Neo Cortex feels like a like it's an odd <laughs> out of left field choice. But I've been revisiting Crash Bandicoot recently. 
yeah on a play on the ps5 and it's a lot of fun and uh i mean yeah it's just an iconic yeah. character right it's funny that was that was genuinely along with uh, breath of the wild mm. zelda actually uh, the crash bandicoot original trilogy uh, mm. on the original playstation one as well which a housemate of mine happened to have we uh got back into them and we just had a lot of late night sessions playing that and uh crash bandicoot mm. 2 which is the best one mm-hmm. we did manage to 100 percent it which was which to this nice. day is one of my proudest achievements because those games are freaking hard they are and yeah. uh getting all the gems and the crystals and stuff in number two mm-hmm. like it was it was <laughs> it was a it was a mission couldn't agree more couldn't agree more oh well, we could sit here and talk about this all day but i think we need to perhaps like you say shift on to the topic which yeah. is loosely connected to one of your series of course like so Judy Greer, we have the connection we'll get to that but yeah you're here for what i'm calling sitcom summer 1.5 um and you're with Arrested Development. And it's it's one of those that was on my list the last time around I did this. And so I'm really thrilled that you could be here to talk uh, with me about it. It's got quite an interesting legacy, this one. Mm-hmm. But I guess to kick us off, I really want to know, Matt, what was your introduction to Arrested Development? It was definitely... So when this was first airing, sort of 2003 to six slash seven mm. sort of time, um, that initial season was we were right in the middle of college, uh, me and my sort of friends, and and we sort of must have become uh, aware of this. And I don't even know how, because even the internet back then was a different beast than what it is now. And I don't know where it was airing in the UK, but I think at a certain point, that season one complete DVD box set was out, and we kind of got straight onto that. And I think, I think the DVD sets, even in the UK, were quite quick to come out after the season. Mm. So it became something we watched... Uh, at the time, but via the medium of of DVD. So I remember getting the season one set from a WH Smiths in Boscombe in Bournemouth. Uh, <laughs> I remember that very vividly because it was like quite newly out, but it was really cheap in there. I th- mm. think it might have been some sort of pricing error in terms of this uh, Deborah Smith, whatever it was. Um, but picked <laughs> that up and then soon followed with two and then eventually three. Although I remember actually my season three was a region one American set because maybe that was right when it had come out and it was still right. too slow over here. So, so yeah, so we all kind of got very obsessed with sort of the, you know, the quick, weird pace and, uh, mm. and the writing and the ensemble performances and everything that stands out in this show. Uh, and yeah, I've seen it all the way through maybe two, maybe three times. Um, mm. And kind of did a bit of a greatest hits run in prep for this as well, uh, going by IMDb's top rated episodes and kind of getting uh-huh. another 15 to 20 uh, of the best of the best in. And just how, um, just being amazed at how easily it all came back to me anyway. I, uh, to be fair, I think the last time I ro- watched the whole thing was only two or three years ago, maybe in lockdown. Um, but it, even doing it in sort of like jumping around and picking and choosing, remembering like what's just happened, what's coming up and all the running gags. And mm. yeah, it just felt so dense as a show. Uh, and especially in 2003 time is quite uh, ingenious. Like I think we've seen a lot of its influences since, but this kind of, you know, mm. faux documentary style narration, cutaways uh or everything it deploys but done to such an amazing degree yeah what about you i completely agree i was really late to the party on this one i think because uh it popped up on netflix yeah and i think it was around the time of the revival so i've got to remind myself now of when the series came out because like i said i was re-listening to a few bits today on it um well, I mean, of... as, we, as, as we all know, this show yeah. only ran for three seasons and that was it. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to that. <laughs> but it's interesting, yeah, because I mean, we're talking 20 years ago now. Yeah. 
and it was sort of right in the midst of of quite a few of the sort of other shows that we've talked about on this podcast. So it's kind of golden era for these kind of groundbreaking mm-hmm. sitcoms, as you say. But I think I was coming around to it when the newer series were coming back on Netflix. So I'm just going to remind myself. I think it was like 2013 it returned. Yes. And then it was like another five years for the last lot. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to throw in an early Google jingle here. Oh, what's his name? It's time to Google. So, uh, yes, Arrested Development, looking at the seasons. That's right. So, yeah, end of 2014. And it was 2013, so it must have been 2018, I think, is when I became aware of Mm -hmm. it. And that was when you had bits of season four. Is that right? Well, looking at it, because I'm just reminding myself on the wiki page, which I think yeah. you may also be doing. I'm so I, I never properly did seasons four and five. I think I started mm. season four and it came back. And it's immediately such a different beast from the original series. Um, yes. I mean, for one, it's, it's you know, nearly 10 years later, but also mm. the episodes are longer. Like you watch any of the ones from the first three series and they are religiously 22 minutes long to yeah. the second, pretty much like the most perfectly paced things. And the new ones came back and they were like running because it was Netflix and that was the time when they could just let anything, you didn't have to have a set runtime because it yes. was streaming, not network. And they just let these things run and run. And I think some episodes mm. are like 35, 40 minutes maybe. And you just lose so much of the the tightness. And you can tell that because all the cast are now such bigger stars, mm. um, they weren't all around at the same time. So all the episodes kind of focused on different characters as well. But I think what they did is they had... Season four originally was like 15 episodes and they're all quite lengthy. And then I think right before season five came back, they re-edited them perhaps. That's I think this right. Is, yeah. It's called like season four Redux or something. And I, I haven't yeah. seen any of these, but I guess it's the content from those 15 episodes mm. edited in a way that makes them turn into 22 episodes. So maybe that yes. cuts them down to the right length and it improves them. I don't know. I think that's what it was. And I think that's when I you know, must have stumbled across it because it popped up and I was like, oh, okay. So I just watched it one to four. And then shortly afterwards, the first half of season five comes along. Yeah. So I, I kind of caught up very, very quickly. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I Same as you, man. I think particularly those early seasons, it was right in my wheelhouse. It's well documented on this podcast. My love of things like the US office parts and rec, mm-hmm. you know, all that stuff. And it just, it fit into that kind of tone of comedy, as you say, like that weird line between sort of, oddball screwball kind of humor to being quite meta and quite clever and sort of any anywhere and everywhere in between and yeah quite fourth wall breaky at times as well and just i just really enjoyed it for the most part it's amazing they could really put like a joke on a joke on a joke in a way that yeah. a lot of other shows i haven't seen them doing the same way where there could be something going on then there's some slight thing in the background that's adding to it or some yes. extra bit of whether it be cutaway narration or or mm. some repeated line, like all these little things that are like from the uh, like in the chemistry of the show is is built up to just add laugh and laugh, and it really mm. does take you aback. And rewatching some of this here, like the pilot is kind of like this perfect intro to the show, and then the second episode I also watched Top Banana, and that's like a perfect sitcom episode right out of the gate. Yeah. Um, got so much in there you know oh, there's always money in the banana stand no touching <laughs> george michael and maybe's kind of flirtation thing and his obsession return yeah. from whence you came it's just like wall-to-wall 
amazingness. But yeah, like, you know, this ability to jump around the cast and the ensemble, I think, really helps as well. And the yeah. episodes where they really do tie in all the uh, plot threads into uh, the last five minutes are fantastic. Absolutely. And it fits that category of, of sitcom that I've now come to appreciate a lot more since doing this show. Of um, it's it's the opposite. It's like the uh, antithesis of the hugs and learning mantra of a lot mm. of sitcoms, where this is like people just being terrible and <laughs> yeah. learning no lessons, and just progressively getting worse as the series goes on. And I just I was thinking about it earlier today, and like I even think by the time you get to the end of this show, I don't think you can really say that any of the characters have particularly grown in any way. Like they all kind of are pretty much where they started, if not some of them worse off. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, I think what they do instead is just, like I say, use use the running jokes to kind of have yeah. characters progressively follow down a certain path. Like with, with mm -hmm. Tobias, it's often a lot of, um, I think it's through season two and a bit of three, just continuously getting hurt. And that yeah. kind of running joke of like, end of every episode, it's like, somebody call me an ambulance. And then like by season yeah. three, and he's doing the hair plugs, it's actively killing him. And it's like, <laughs> so that's kind of like the progression of him and obviously everything of him and Lindsay. And then yeah. you've got stuff like George Michael and maybe his kind of mm -hmm. weird relationship and stuff. So you've got relationships and gags that follow through, but you're right. It doesn't get to a point where people really learn uh unless by those later seasons it's uh vastly different no i mean when, i suppose when the whole premise is hanging off the fact that it's a family who are just a bunch of criminals by all extents mm. you know it's it's the dad is arrested for embezzling and that's how you start basically and it's this yeah dysfunctional rich family that are just it's almost like a comedy version of succession you know in a weird <laughs> way like considering how successful that show is now like I was yeah. just thinking that. So I've I've yet to start Succession, and oh, uh, my spotlight yeah. my spotlight co-host Liam will kill me because he bought me season one on Blu-ray about two years ago, <laughs> and I was deliberately like, I know the second I dive into this, I'm going to be hooked, and I yeah, don't yeah. have access to the other seasons. But now it's all finished, I definitely will. But yeah. yeah, I've definitely seen some people tweeting like, "Oh, imagine a comedy version of Succession," and people going like, "Yeah, it's happened. It's Arrested Development." <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And who knows? Perhaps some of the influence cross over there, but. I mean, that alone is just quite funny. And it's and I feel like it helps it to age quite nicely in a lot of ways as mm. well. There's a lot of gags and things that happen in it that, I don't know, they just they feel quite prescient even today, I would argue. Yeah. It's genuinely weird looking back at some of these now, how it has only been 20 years, but also mm. it's been 20 years. And just seeing them, you know, using like Nokia 3310s and very yeah. basic internet. And it's like, Christ, yeah, that is that old now. Mm. Um, I think the antithesis of this is, I'm a, in terms, you know, talking to sitcoms, I'm a mm. massive classic Simpsons guy. Like that's probably yeah. number one, you know, seasons one to 10. Mm -hmm. um, I was recently watching a load of classic ones with somebody and um, almost as like a gag kind of went, let's put on one of the newer ones. Because obviously Disney mm -hmm. Plus has mm -hmm. them all bar the current season i think yeah and we, we watched a random episode from like last year and it was just you know beside the the widescreen super high def animation of it all and mm. some random character who they were acting like he was a regular and we're like who the hell is this mm. um it was just so jarring hearing millhouse talk about tiktoks and stuff and seeing them use laptops yeah. and it's like no you are yeah. a 90s family mm -hmm. this is weirding me out um and yeah it's getting to that point now with stuff that's even yeah 20 years old it is, it is, definitely, yeah. My wife's currently going through The Simpsons. I think we're up to like season 20 now and I sort of dip in yeah. every now and then. And yeah, same. I had the same thoughts every time. I'm just like, this feels 
odd. Um, <laughs> and I think this sh- this show does kind of struggle with that a little bit, isn't it? You know, c- considering there's such a large gap in between seasons because you get the impression that the characters, well, they're not supposed to have aged very much. I don't know about you. I got the impression that the series of events that happened from like one to five are meant to be quite close together within a couple mm, of years. Right. But mm. some of the things they're commenting on, some of the things they bring in, it does kind of make it a little bit jarring at times. And I think that's probably where a lot of people struggled a bit, right, in the later yeah. seasons. I guess they're just lucky that people like Michael Sarah just don't really age as well. It's, yes, uh, there is that. <laughs> uh, and Alia Shawcat, they both look very similar. Like I was watching mm. some of these today and thinking, God, it's only like four years between the end of season three of Rest of Development and Scott mm. Pilgrim, say. Yeah. But now it's been 13 years since Scott Pilgrim and Barbie, which he's in now. Wow. And it's like, it's just so weird to think of even something very much post-Arrested like Scott Pilgrim is mm. way closer to the end of Arrested than it is to present day. <laughs> it's wild, isn't it? Absolutely wild. Um, but that leads quite nicely, actually, onto the sort of cast discussion, which is something I always mm. love to get into with these and the characters. I mean, I think we could just start right from the top with Jason Bateman as Michael Bluth. I think, I mean, probably his best role, right? It's certainly his most yeah. famous one. What do you think about Michael Bluth? I have, I have thoughts, but I want to hear what you've got to say. He's funny. Like it's, it's kind of great that this was Bateman's sort of, you know, comeback in a way because obviously he'd been mm. around since the eighties, but this was sort of definitely his major part that really landed, mm. and he, he, it's almost the like ultimate kind of straight man. Although mm. he does have the odd occasion where he is allowed to kind of revel in the weirdness of the rest of his family. But by playing mm-hmm. him sort of right down that that line and saying, look at my insane family around me, yeah, uh, it really works. But he does have that kind of bit of crazy glint in his eye every so often where he, mm-hmm. he goes off and someone else, where it's usually like George Michael, is suddenly the straight guy to him yeah. with all his various uh, misunderstandings about like, like Anne or, or, or maybe and everything there. Um, but yeah, he's the real anchor here for sure. Yeah, I, I I totally agree. That's the thing I find fascinating about the character. And I really enjoyed, particularly the first time around watching was how he is kind of the straight man, as you say, but he's just as bad as the rest of them. Mm-hmm. It's just a lot more subtle. <laughs> That's kind of what I love about <laughs> it is, you know, the moments where it, it, it's never like he's above them, you know, and every time he starts to act like he is. They have that wonderful sort of self-aware moment where they all kind of turn around and go, oh, no, you're just as dysfunctional as the rest of us, <laughs> you know. Whether it's like just suddenly barreling into Job and fighting on like the courthouse steps. It's like, yeah, he right. will sink to those le- levels. <laughs> Absolutely. Or like, you know, he'll he'll date a woman who has special needs and not m- and miss all of the clues. Yeah. Or like, you know, he falls in love with a, a, a sort of attorney who's just as shady as the rest of his family. Like his, his choices in women in particular kind of highlight his flaws for sure and... Yeah, yeah, it really is like every sort of relationship that comes along is where he's most kind of blindsided. Because the last one I watched before hopping on this call was uh, mm. one with his sister, Justine Bateman, playing right. Nelly, where he just he was completely oblivious to the fact that she's a sex worker. And he's just like, yeah. <laughs> those kind of like, <laughs> it does that a lot where it's like two characters very much talking about different things. Mm. And it's it's Ron Howard's narrator kind of pointing out what's happening to us. And it's yeah. like, uh, I think the first one was... I know it was, yeah, when Michael and maybe are driving back from Mexico at the start of season two. And they're both, yeah, they're both chatting the entire way about different people. And it's like, oh my mm. God. And especially that one with with Nell Bluth towards the end, mm. where he's just thinking like, oh, you're going to help out the business. And she's just like, yep, so here are my grand rules. No bleep, 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 bleep. Yeah. <laughs> just all these people. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's that kind of comedy of errors and misunderstanding that yeah. they often pivot, you know, they often sort of pitch against one another. And and yeah, I think Michael Bluth is definitely like the epitome of that as a character that you'd think in any other scenario is the one that would come in as the straight man and like put things right or fix it. But he just adds to the chaos because, as I said, he is just as dysfunctional and stupid as the rest of yeah. them. Yeah, it's it really lends nicely. And like you said, I think he's got he's kind of got what I like to call the Martin Freeman kind of face. Mm. No, no, he can do the are you kidding me almost better yeah. than anybody else. And that just works so well in this world. <laughs> yeah, he very much could have been the uh Martin Freeman in the office yeah. character that Krasinski took for the mm. American one. Yeah, you could totally see him pulling off that kind of character for sure. It's just lots of fun and even his dynamic with with all of the characters, particularly with uh, him and Michael Sarah as, as George Michael Bluth, which one of the best character names, I think, in <laughs> sitcom history. Um, yeah, just hilarious, their, their dynamic. And again, just how terrible he is as a dad and how oblivious mm -hmm. he is. Like as much as you could tell he's trying, he's not deliberately trying to be a terrible dad. Like you said, he's just so oblivious. He just misses yeah. things, even to the point where he ends up dating the same woman as his son <laughs> and it's just so uncomfortable and so weird but you kind of buy it because you're like yeah he is that oblivious <laughs> it's always the ones where it's like that and he mm. tends to be maybe the first to realize like an episode would kind of often end with him sort of staring into space and run howard being like and then michael realized he was playing his son <laughs> like his dad had played him so he, he often yeah. does kind of gets to the realization point maybe more than the others but then continuously makes the same mistakes yeah, absolutely. And it's constantly like, I think there's one episode where he just keeps saying, I'm leaving, I'm leaving the family. And they're all just like, no, you won't. You're going to come back because you feel you want to feel superior to the rest of us. And yeah. they just play with that with the whole episode. And again, it plays into his dysfunction. <laughs> it's when he's not even sure that they know he's gone yet. So he brings yeah. them up and they're just like, Michael, yeah. phone. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, they don't know we've gone yet. We're going back. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Let me see the look on their faces right now. <laughs> Where'd he go? <laughs> or they, they think we're just headed home. Actually, no, that's kind of what I thought until I heard about all that Phoenix stuff. Michael was concerned that the full impact of his departure might have been lost on his family. Hello, who is this? Yes, this is Dr. Blumen. I'm calling regarding Michael Bluth. Michael, phone! They think we're still there. We're going back. It's brilliant. I absolutely love it. Um, I mean, bouncing from there, I guess Michael Sarah then as as sort of George Michael Bluth. I'm guessing this is what his big breakout role is. It or yeah, yeah, because I think around ish the same time he did this web series with Clark Duke called Clark and Michael, which is pretty mm. funny as well. It kind of plays into this same sort of humor, which I remember watching. I think it just came out on YouTube, like, but back in like. Well, Christ, if it was 2005, six, like right when YouTube started. Um, right. But then he gets super bad, like kind of right afterwards. So that was um, the ultimate sort of, oh, you know me from the show that's now ended. Here's my first big movie and it's this massive hit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's someone who's, who's interesting. He's always kind of been around now, but he does occasionally do really uh, interesting small stuff as well. Yeah. And I feel like this role again fits him as someone who's, he's just very good at playing that awkward kind of gawky character yeah that sort of fumbles just the panicked a lot. looking around yeah yeah <laughs> like if if jason bateman can do that are you kidding me face like he can uh, michael Sarah can do the blind terror pretty well <laughs> dad's gonna be crushed you don't have to tell him <laughs> <laughs> oh there's gonna be clips galore in this don't you worry but yeah i mean 
and and the, the whole sort of whole dynamic with him and Alia Shawkat as his cousin, but maybe she's not his cousin. Mm-hmm. And even just the whole joke of her being called maybe is sort of just so simple, but so effective. And their dynamic, I absolutely love as well. I think it's yep. hilarious. If not at all disturbing, if we're being honest. <laughs> We'd have to kiss. And that'd be kind of weird after what we've been through. Well, that was a long time ago. It had been two months since they'd kissed. Well, it does sound like a good twist on a wedding film. A, a film? Without the corny runaway bride bit in the middle. Oh, yeah. And so, like many people who no longer felt anything for each other, they decided to get married. I think someone who was really um, mm. really surprising was uh, uh, Job, of course. Um, oh, my goodness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Will Arnett just... Will Arnett, yeah, Christ. Because especially now knowing what he's gone on to do with like Bojack and stuff, mm. people, you know, I have seen a lot of memes going around of, of a, a clip of Joe prancing about with a knife in his teeth and waving the cards around. It goes, if mm. you had told me this guy would have delivered like one of the most emotionally gut-wrenching uh, voice performances of uh, in TV history, <sighs> then I would not have believed you. But, 100%, um, yeah. He's someone who I'm glad kind of got Bojack in a way because I think he had one or two shows after this that were just kind of dropped. Mm. Um but then between Bojack and like Lego Batman on the big screen, you know, he's he's really leaned into his uh, vocal talents. Oh, for sure. Yeah. In a sort of Clancy, Clancy Brown vein, if you will. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I agree. And just, I think probably the absolute him, well, it's between him and David Cross in terms of like scene stealing performances, <laughs> right? As two ridiculous characters that just sort of hover on the outside of, of what's going on. Yeah, Will Arnett, Will Arnett as as Joe, this sort of desperate magician who's clearly <laughs> trying to win his dad's approval throughout the whole show is just incredible. And the lengths that he goes to, I I don't know if it is just his voice as well that lends to the ridiculousness yeah. of it, right? Because he's like you say, he's got such a deep, powerful voice to deliver some of the most ridiculous lines. <laughs> It's, and then whenever he yeah. sort of breaks, he just gets so pathetic. And uh, <laughs> yeah. the amount of episodes kind of end with him like crying and hugging people and then immediately being a shit again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I always love the recurring gag of every single time he does a magic performance, it's the final countdown. It's his intro music. <laughs> and it goes on for way too long. <laughs> like It's just brilliant. George Michael was off from school for two weeks and was enjoying spending time with his uncle. I'm intercepting some telepathic energy. It's telling me it's the Eight of Diamonds. That's amazingly close. Gee, I got it wrong. Well, I guess you won the shirt off my back. Okay, that's amazing. It's the Queen of Diamonds. No, no, no. Well, I, I had But I mean, if that had been the actual card, I'm pretty sure I'd be almost too blown away. And again, he's another one that's sort of, in a similar way to, to Michael, is you know quite, again, oblivious walks into weird situations, but I think lacks the, the slight modicum of self-awareness that Michael yeah. has where he'll try to do the right thing. Job just goes in the other way and is like, no, no, I'm doubling down yeah, on the yeah. stupid. And it, it it's works. It's another really great physical performance as well. Like every every little choice they give to him. Like mm. the, the fact they give him this segue that he keeps popping up in. Yeah. Like again, I think end of that second episode or so when... Uh, Michael's asking him, you know, did he mail that insurance check? And he just kind of backs out of frame without yeah. turning around. <laughs> it's just still so good. Yeah. Or the uh, the attempts to make people forget by giving them forget me not pills, but it's just for yes. <laughs> And that, that's like his go-to move whenever he feels cornered. He'll just like lunge at somebody with a pill. <laughs> it's just like, what? what are you doing? 
It's absolutely brilliant. And again, he just, you know, him, I feel like he gets to play off Michael Sarah a bit as well. You know, they have sort of weird misadventures with each other. I mean, there's, isn't there the whole storyline, if I remember correctly, where is it Michael Sarah? George has got like a girlfriend that's really forgettable. Is that the one I'm thinking oh, of? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm pretty sure Job ends up with her at some point and it's like that all then escalates and just keeps going to a point where you he ends up doing like a, a jesus themed stunt <laughs> just to try and get out of it that goes horribly wrong <laughs> it's just again it's just the way it keeps building it's brilliant yeah. just marrying amy polo on a dare as well that's right yeah <laughs> <laughs> what's the matter with you didn't you bag some woman that you're never gonna see again well i screwed up Broke a couple of my own rules last night. I, she knows that I'm Joe Bluth, and we got married, and I just... What? Well, she was a darer. She's one of those girls who just dares you to do things. You married her? I needed a dare. What had started as an innocent flirtation had turned into a series of escalating challenges. Unfortunately, the evening was draining, and the one thing they never dared each other to do was consummate the marriage. <sighs> Time to seal the deal! Oh, wait! What time is it? Oh, God, seal the deal! My seal deal! I gotta get to Sealand! I'm selling five of their sickest seals to a third world zoo! Did you say seals? Yes, I told you like four hours ago. I sell seals! God, you ever listen to what I say? I'm sorry that I don't memorize every single word that comes out of your mouth. Sometimes I just like to think. Think my thoughts. Uh, we'll talk about this when I get home. It was hot. By the lengths you'll go to sleep with a woman. Believe me, we didn't do any sleeping. I had sex last night. But he really didn't. Yes, I did. Yeah. Or um, isn't it like he's one of his... Uh, is it Amy Poehler, the character? One of them he's married to, but he never... He initially doesn't consummate the marriage. And there's like a running gag where like he just he feels too insecure to admit that that's what's happened. And so it just yeah, keeps that's it, going. Because they're like, if you, if you admit that, then we can just annul it rather than divorce. He's just like, no, mm. we definitely bang. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And just how that comes back around as well. And, oh, I don't man. I mean, even it's, it's stuff with him in prison as well, where he's taking the fall for his dad. Like, that whole <laughs> run is amazing. Um, his, his love affair with, uh, with Judy Greer's character, Kitty Sanchez. Uh-huh. I mean, we can talk Judy Greer for a bit, because obviously that's something you guys yeah, have Yeah, well, studied. I mean, she kind of really kind of headlines, you know, this insane supporting guest cast that runs from everybody from, like, Liza yeah. Minnelli as Lucille Two and Henry mm -hmm. Winkler as Barry. Mm. Uh, you've got you've got Ben Stiller popping up as Tony Wonder. Yeah, um, Isla Fisher. Yeah, <laughs> yes, Ed Beckley Jr. And yeah. yeah. But, um, yeah, Judy as Kitty is just hilarious. You know, say goodbye to these, Michael. <laughs> um, and it was funny because I think when we were doing the Greer's season and we often said where do where do you most know her from it was either mm. stuff like 13 going on 30 and the rom-coms uh or arrested development really and that was probably my introduction to her as well thinking about it mm. yeah yeah i mean she and she does the kind of hysterical crazy thing <laughs> really really well um yeah and again and her dynamic like i say with job and with um uh, Jeffrey Tambor as, as George Bluth is just brilliant. Yeah, and again, it's quite disturbing when you think about it. What's implied <laughs> or or even outright said about her and their relationships? It's really messed up. But it's like anything to do with the Bluth company itself is always kind of really like sad because that office they have yeah. is the most drab thing ever. Yep. And that one where like when Job's sort of in charge and he throws the party and he's just like, right, dance now, dance. Yeah. Everyone's just sort of <laughs> loitering around their cubicles doing a little thing and just 
continuously afraid of being fired. Well, it reminds um, me very much again in this vein of bad people being bad, that sort of style of sitcom, like your Seinfelds, like Always Sunny, I think of these shows or Black mm-hmm. Books, etc., where you have these supporting characters that just pop up every now and then, and their lives have got progressively worse as a result of being <laughs> around the main characters. <laughs> it's another one of those that I just I think is brilliant, and it's a really interesting way to see how the performers and the writers will take that and just keep going with it, you know, because it's it's uncomfortable to watch, isn't it? You know, when you yeah. watch them initially pop up. I mean, Judy Greer's character, I think, ends up at one point, they, you think they've nearly killed her because she was trying <laughs> to get on a boat that had evidence on it and Job was going to blow it up. And like, you know, things like that, that just keep escalating and her life just getting progressively worse <laughs> as a result. <laughs> but it's incredible. So now I'm going to have to go back and rewatch it. This is the problem, Matt, with doing these shows. Is, this is it. Yeah. It's so it's so addictive and it really, I mean, you really do feel the the, the speediness of those first three seasons. Mm. Um, also shout out to, of course, Jessica Walter as uh, yes. the matriarch of the family, R.I.P. J. Oh, man. I mean, it was this Oof. and Archer that I knew her from. Mm. You can argue that it's the same character that she's playing. <laughs> it literally looks the same. But it's so, so perfect. Just the ice cold mum, the way she does it, it's delivered to perfection. Oh man, so funny. So many of the lines were like, yeah, she just sort of says something and then just delivers like an absolutely devastating, like crushing blow to her children. <laughs> I don't care for Job. <laughs> yeah, but that's, that's, that's exactly it. She'll just say it dead straight. And, and then just move on. And you're like, Because that cut away to that scene, she's just sat in a restaurant with somebody just staring out to nothing and just says it. <laughs> and the person she's with is just like, huh? <laughs> I didn't ask, but all right. Yeah. And, and, like, and her relationship with um, Tony Hale's buster is just... Oh, my God. Oh, they're, they're back and forth. I mean, like you get comedy pairings as we're kind of pointing out as we go through this, but I don't know about you. I feel like those two, again, scene-stealing dynamics, man, every time they pop up, just as... Icy cold mother and this just broken <laughs> man child <laughs> follows her around. Michael, the little Korean is here and I don't know what to do with him. At least I think it's a him. You've got to strip them down to next to nothing before you can even tell. Yeah, Mom, I, I just spoke to social services and although they don't like to do this, if you can prove that it's a bad environment for a child, and I would suggest saying what you just said to me, don't change a word, they will take him back. Ha, ha, ha. Uh, don't get too comfortable. Shoes on, mister. Shoes on. He's out of control. Hold on. I'm back. Who's that? Anya. This is Anyang, who your father and I have adopted. Well, I'm gone for a couple of days and you find a new son? Lucille could see that her son was concerned, even jealous and she knew how it felt to be overlooked. Yes. Anyang is your brother now. Anyang. Yes, Anyang. Excuse me? Uh, Michael? Call it off. I'm keeping him. I think, like, the single... My single favourite episode, I think, is maybe season two, episode three. Uh Uh-huh. Amigos. Amigos, where it's like... They're trying to find... Uh, George Senior, who's gone missing in Mexico, and it's the whole thing of Ice, the bounty hunter, and yes. Buster gets annoyed. He tries to run away, but he ends up just in the trunk of uh, the, the cleaner's car, mm. uh, and ends up uh, just ten minutes down the road, thinking he's in Mexico. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, right. I mean, I mean, it's it's literally got yeah, Jean Parmesan, <laughs> an incredible uh, single episode guest, pretty much. Ah, you 
got me again. Yeah. Uh, don't be such an Anne hog. Um, here's some money. Go see a Star Wars. Is in that. It's just it's just wall to wall perfection. I think. I think that f- that first six or seven episodes of season two is definitely the best stretch it has as well overall. Mm. Um, yeah. It's just, yeah, talk about a show coming out of a really great first season and absolutely like nailing the, the second, difficult second album with the, mm. yeah, the, the top end of your, of your second season. It's so good. Yeah, yeah. And it, it, like you say, I feel like they definitely hit the stride of we know who these characters are, we know what they're like. And they're, it's weird. It's like they're all trying to, help one another out but also they're completely looking out for their own self-interest at the same time and it's just that hilarious thing where like they're so busy doing that that then occasionally their interest will align and they'll try and play it off like oh yes i meant to do this thing to help you and it's like no no and then like you say you've got ron howard in the background going he did not you know and just clarifying (laughs) over the top it's absolutely awesome but yeah i I love their dynamic it's just the way it gets progressively more freudian as the show goes to the point where Buster ends up dating Lucille too, as you say, played by Liza Minnelli, which is just... Yeah, with her just very specific, intense vertigo just from standing up. Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's it's oddly specific things like that. And again, as much as people malign the later seasons, I quite enjoy the whole him losing a hand to a loose seal. And that, yes. that whole yeah, yeah. gag as well. Like, it's just absolutely Because that's like towards the end of season two, I think. So it's yeah. kind of like, you know, you get, I forget, I always forget how much of a stretch there is before he loses his hand, seeing mm. as, you know, he's always got the hook beyond yeah. that. I'm a monster. But, yeah, going... <laughs> <laughs> but then, like, yeah, going off and getting obsessed with the, uh, the, the toy crane machine instead of actually going to army and then yeah. using that yeah. ability to pull Job in the banana costume out of the car. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Yeah, it's just, oh, it's amazing. It's so good. Buster, thank God you're back. There's no shame in being a coward. A coward? I'm not a coward. Would a coward have this? What the hell is that? These are my words, Mother, from Army. The seal is for marksmanship, and the gorilla is for sand racing. Um, I mean, I talk another side characters... David Cross, I think, you know, obviously a comedy legend by yeah, this point. Yeah, literally, like, anything he says is... I think I think his modern, like, successor is someone like Matt Berry and what we do in the shadows yes. in terms of anything he's saying yeah. is, like, delivered to perfection. Mm. Just like, uh, mm. oh, yeah, that's right, I forgot. Your wife is dead. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah, it, it's exactly right. And, I mean, I'm going to, again, put in loads of clips in, but he has some of the absolute best one-liners that's what i mean like him and will Arnett yeah. just i think trying to play for who can steal the scene on this occasion just with one simple line and he takes the whole lack of self-awareness thing to the next level yeah the idea of this guy who's like in a well-respected profession mm. just sort of throwing it all in to be an actor and just yeah. being absolutely terrible with it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um everything with his blue man group stuff through season two yeah, uh, losing yep. that audition to Lindsay in season one with uh, mm-hmm. the fire sale. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I like the idea with the blue man group that, like, when they ask him, he's just like, "Oh no, I haven't got in. I'm just here as a backup, just in case." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so he's just walking around blue, just, <laughs> just, just in case. Why not? Like it takes me so long to get this stuff on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the whole um. Yeah, he has some some of the best meme- memes as well. Like that, I often see the gif of like quietly sobbing in the shower. Like that <laughs> yeah. pops up all the time. <laughs> well, excuse me. 
Excuse me. Or <laughs> <laughs> the whole never nude thing. Yeah, his uh, his his stint as Mrs. Featherbottom for a few episodes. Yeah. There are we dozens of us. Mother this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we should tell him mother this. The jumping through the table. Oh my god! Like that entire oh. thing when they just, they just know who it is, and he's just having to like sprint off and change between. Clothes. Yeah, yeah. It's just so good. But again, he he plays it to absolute perfection. He's just mm-hmm. yeah. Allow me to introduce myself. My name is Felidia Featherbottom. And I can cook, and I can clean, and I can take care of the little ones. I can also uh, sing a song or two, <laughs> if it comes in handy. <clears throat> when you put a squirt of frosting down your throat before we take a medication. Tobias had gained access to the studio's wardrobe and makeup department. He was eager to both see his daughter and prove to his wife that he had what it took to be an actor. It was the exact plot of the film Mrs. Doubtfire. There was also some Mary Poppins in there. Let's get this house cleaned up. Hey, Lindsay, the place looks fantastic. Would you pay somebody to do this? Oh, I've no need for payment. (laughs) The love of the family is more than enough. I'm sorry, this is Mrs. Featherbottom. From Blackstool. I'm charmed, I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) It's mad reading that um, Tobias and Mm. George Sr. weren't meant to be that big of characters. Really? In terms of involvement and screen time. But then Ah. through David Cross and Jeffrey Tambor just, you know, being great, they were like, oh, no, wait, we need to to up this. Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, speaking of Jeffrey Tambor, I mean, the the whole, like, just playing this absolutely terrible patriarch from day one, I think, is hilarious. And then they give him a twin at one point. Mm -hmm. And just, yeah, the weird metaness of that is also incredible. The Oscar stuff is so funny because Oscar's like such like a, he's just, he is the opposite of George in that he's, Mm. you know, this loosey goosey pothead Mm. and the whole running joke they have with him actually being Buster's dad. And it plays that little three second jingle of music every time he's like, (laughs) your father is here. Maybe he is. (laughs) (laughs) They said my father was here. Did they? Yeah. And it's like, they're just deliberately playing with that as well. The fact that like Lucille also has affairs with Oscar, so you kind of she bounces between yeah. the two and you're like, wait, who is he? Like which one is it? And, <laughs> and even like the whole like shaving him and sticking him in prison so he can run <laughs> around and just yeah, the, the the absolute head trip that it is to watch this show sometimes with performances like that, I think is just genius. Yeah. The running gag that everyone who's ever in prison has a great time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When George is just like, I can't go back to that hell hole. And it's like him in like playing tennis and like yeah. hanging with the boys. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so good and just like his his constant very much the same way as like lucille is the cold distant mum he plays the aloof dad so well yeah you know and again like the running gags of like joe desperately trying to seek his approval and they end up in prison (laughs) because of him and stuff like that or you know screaming at michael about money in a banana stand and things like that it's just it's so good it's so so good hey it's me dad yeah, listen, I gotta make this quick. You're the only one who can save the family. But you, you gotta keep the company strong because I'm, I'm gonna need some of that money later. I will, Dad. It's funny, after all these years of you making fun of me for the magic shows and... Job? Oh, for God. I, I called to talk to Michael, your horse is... Gracias por usar Tijuana Bell. Job was hurt. Bye, pup. And then him hanging out in a, in a loft. 
just for like one season of a house and i'm, yeah. I'm like the joke that everybody ends up knowing where he is but no one really talks about it <laughs> it's just amazing <laughs> we have done some light treason because <laughs> that's it because sort of the real like um plot driven story mechanics going on with like you know mm. sort of bluth embezzling and building houses in mm. the middle east and everything is is all really well done and the, you know the, the general sort of drive of the show does kind of revolve around george being on the lamb or like hiding in there or being yeah. wanted for this and it does it all really well and manages to sort of you know fit in all the other bits going on around it mm. um but yeah if you ever need to kind of remember where you are in the story it's kind of like well what's george up to and like yeah, yeah. hiding in the attic is most of season two mm-hmm. um beginning of season three when he's coming back on house arrest and has the surrogate the camera just reading out his lines yeah, yeah. so good um yeah, he's like, oh, he's really good value. Hey, I didn't say that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's And it makes sense because, again, the whole premise of the show is he's the one that's like sunk the family business and is in prison. So, yeah, it's it's a good use of a, of a character in that way. Like you say, they help push the story forward. And as I said before, I just I love the fact that they then find a way of intertwining mm. all these other things happening. And it always seems to come back to that central problem of like, how do we deal with the mess that this man's created? <laughs> Yeah, it's absolutely awesome. Um, I just want to also give a quick mention to Portia de Rossi as as Lindsay. I, she's a character I must admit I struggled with a bit in the first seasons, and it's no disrespect to her. I think she's really good in the role. I think they just didn't know what to do with her. I guess for mm. like the first season or two. What do you think? Yeah, because she's kind of set up as this you know person, this a- activist type character who does a lot of. Mm. Uh, fundraising and stuff which you know and, and doing terrible ones at that which yeah. is again all the more funny when they're this super rich family uh and just being super vain but she, yeah she's kind of pinged around a lot of the characters a fair bit and uh gets some good shots to shine i think whenever she's bouncing off of uh david cross and yeah. off of uh off of her mum as well uh she's really put to good use there did you see this letter you know, it's done wonders for Maybe. Maybe is an exceptional young lady. Exceptional. We are sure that she is destined for great things. Great things. And we wish Michael. her luck in all her... It says over. You know, I probably have to crack this open to be sure, but this sounds like an expulsion letter. She's never been to class. What kind of a boarding school would lose track of its students? Openings is not a boarding school. I thought it was a boarding school, too. Actually, maybe had been on the set of a film called Snowboarding School 2 in her secret life as a film executive. There goes that non-refundable tuition. You know, it is the one rule that they do have there. She should be punished for this. You know, Tobias, if I can become a more traditional mother, then maybe you could start being more of a... Non-traditional mother. Yes, you're right. After all, I am her father. Yeah, hard agree. Like, that, watching her and, that, you know, them as, uh, as husband and wife, her and Tobias, is just some of the best stuff again it's like just the absolute contempt that she has for the man and it's very clear that she married him just to upset her parents and it's like well now you have to live with the consequences <laughs> of that it's just absolutely awesome whenever they just forget that they have a daughter just like yeah. you don't have a child michael yeah. oh you mean maybe yes yeah yeah and like i enjoy that dynamic actually i'll say that much her between her and, and alia shawcat they play that really well together that sort mm. of yeah it's, it's like in any other a uh, pair i think that could be quite sad right you could be like oh poor poor girl she's like really abandoned <laughs> but the fact that maybe it's just so up together and just kind of like no nah, i'm used to this uh-huh. you know they're able to play off each other quite nicely with that i do enjoy that yeah like technically sort of like the youngest person there but being the most super independent and like you know it's like a season and a mm. bit long subplot of her working at the movie studio as well right yeah <laughs> yeah and it's yeah just just that one line of like 
how old are you? Are you 15? Marry me. And then that's it for the whole season. She's in. And then like she's living in a an old folks home dressed up as an old lady at one point as well. I seem to recall like just hanging out and pretending to be an old woman. And again, it's like, cool. And then where's Lindsay? She's off to India, like trying to find spirituality. <laughs> and you're just like, okay. And it, it feels like one of those as well. It's an interesting one. I feel like if you go back to 2003, it would have been a very much an on point observation, you know, probably like a takedown of like your Paris Hiltons and people like that. Mm. But then you move it on 10 years and then another five years from that, you can kind of see where they struggled to figure out what do we do with this character? Because at that point, those sort of socialite climber people, I mean, they're more like the Kim Kardashian lot now, but she's yeah, but yeah. she's nowhere near as put together as those people. So you couldn't really have a pivot and suddenly be like, I'm a really successful entrepreneur because... The family's yeah. horribly dysfunctional. So, you know, what do you do with her? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it. I mean, outside of something like Succession, maybe, like what kind mm. of uh, would the modern equivalent of this this show be in the sitcom mm. landscape these days? Because um, it does feel like, you know, the sort of Armando Iannucci and uh, uh, Veep stuff. Yes. And, yeah, um, yeah. And, the, and the Succession guys, you know, the mm. Peep Show guys and everything as well, thick of it feels very much of this ilk as well. And a lot of that was happening at the same time as well. Mm. Uh, but it feels like they've kind of carried on this 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 style. But other than something like Always Sunny, I guess, which was mm. uh, starting around the same time of having that ensemble of, of you know, idiotic people. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know what else has kind of come along that really captures this this tone. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I don't know about you. I we'll sort of talk about the different seasons. I mean... I, I don't think it, the final one's as bad as everybody says. Maybe I'm just a bit too generous. What do you think? Well, like I say, I've not seen four and five. Mm. Um, first few of four, probably did at the time. Five, no. Okay. It just it just hurt too much, I think, because... Uh, Why is that? Uh, well, because I love one to three so much. Mm. And then when starting four, realizing that they're just missing the magic. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm not often like that. I am often very much a completionist, even if something sure. is no longer for me or it goes off the boil. But it's pretty much just this and like uh, Jurassic World Dominion, the last one. I haven't been able to watch that. I mean, because of everyone saying how bad it was. Uh, yeah, I'm just like... Not missing anything, yeah. Yeah, I'm like... <laughs> it, from Jurassic World onwards, it annoyed me. And I'm like, oh God, this is just so not what I would want from these things now. Mm. But... um. Because in my head, you know, seasons one to three of this is, is just so perfect, top to bottom. It's like, yeah, that's that's where it ended for me. Mm. Do you know what? I think that's kind of fair. I'm, and again, I'm just trying to pull up some episode info just to remind myself, because I think that was the thing that, I, like I said, I don't think it's the best. I think it, it did struggle towards the end. But I think a lot of that just had to do with the fact that time had moved on and the kind of the setting the initial like i said the setting there was kind yeah, of rich yeah. for comedy material but it changed so much i do think it's a bit of a victim of the landscape as well in mm. in you know the network days compared to the streaming model yeah especially the streaming model at this time where they kind of were writing blank checks for stuff and you mm. know everything's dropping on the same day it looks like all of season five was directed by the same guy it just kind of whiffs of sort of mass mm. um block shooting and then just chopping it up after the fact as opposed to really crafting episodes and of course you know some of the talent directing mm. the original three of course we've got you know 
Superstar Avengers directors, the Russo brothers, mm. doing the pilot and a, and a lot of um, episodes. Yeah. Uh, Super bad director Greg Matola did one. You got Pally Jenkins directing one in season two. Mm-hmm. Jason Bateman did one. Paul Feig's done a few as well. Mm. Paul Feige. Um, mm-hmm. So a bunch of like really big name directors and just the, the, the variety of them all as well. Whereas I think the last two seasons, it kind of is too many of the same people either directing and or writing it as well. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm getting I'm guessing maybe five is is stronger than four because it does seem like the writing lineup is a bit more spread out. Mm. But um, but yeah, I think that kind of doesn't help it. Yeah, I'd I'd agree with that. I mean, it's it's, it's also interesting. Some of the stuff they kind of use. I'm just jogging my memory here of like seasons four and five. The backdrop of what's going on does feel like it's very much trying to put itself in the zeitgeist. You know, there's like a whole subplot in season four where uh, basically George Michael's come up with this app called Fake Block. And it's literally just a, it's basically a metronome. That's what it is. Mm. But <laughs> people hear the name and they think it's a security software. And so he just goes with it. You're like, okay, that's very sort of mid 2000s, you know, like a lot of these start mid, <laughs> sorry, sorry, my, uh, 2010s, you know, so 2020 of like, yeah, these startup companies, you know, popping up with yeah, software yeah. and it, so you kind of feel like, okay, they're doing that. And then there's this whole commentary on building a wall across Mexico. You're like, hmm, I wonder what that's referencing, you know, <laughs> <laughs> things like it that. Is, it, is, it is tough to try yeah. and work out as, as we kind of get older, like how much of the good stuff in the past is is just nostalgia tinged versus mm. like, oh, is it just the stuff that modern shows have to reference that just doesn't work in a comedic context for whatever reason? Mm-hmm. Uh, was it really a simpler time back in the early noughties? But no, of course, because on the original series, you know, a lot of it's to do with like the Iraq war and a lot of the stuff coming out around then. Mm. So, you know, if 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 shows have to be current and reflect on the times, mm. then, you know, if you make stuff like this now, it's like, you know, same with the current Simpsons seasons, like a lot of the stuff in society and culture is is like your influences and your TikToks and your dating apps and social media and it's like mm. i don't know maybe it just feels more try hard to try and make genuinely funny stuff surrounding that but um it can be done obviously so yeah yeah, yeah. and again there's some elements of it that work i mean there's a really what i thought was a really funny subplot of tobias um working i think he's working in like a clinic again so he's trying to help people but immediately pivots when he meets a woman who's a recovering <laughs> addict and she used to be an actress um, but it turns out she used to be an actress in like adult films and stuff like that. She's not really an actress, <laughs> but he immediately globs onto that and finds out that she was in like an off, uh, sort of off-brand version of a Fantastic Four film. There's a running gag about the rights to that, which if you're a nerd like me is hilarious. You're like, yes, that's so true. And it ends up with them on a boat at the end in the background of a scene doing this really weird Fantastic Four musical, <laughs> but they're trying to do it where they're sort of on international waters so they're not going to get prosecuted and it's kind of like the perfect Tobias storyline of like yes he would follow that thread to the end of the earth because he's just desperate yeah. to be an actor so like stuff like that works but then things were like they're trying to comment on politics you know and they get terry cruz in as a politician at one point and you're like yeah mm. terry cruz i love the man i think he's you know he's hilarious but it's sort of a storyline that kind of fizzles out and you sort of Again, it feels like very much they're trying to comment on the whole Trump thing, and you're like, "Yeah, I get it," but as to your point just then, it does sort of start to age the shows, and you know, within a couple of years, you look back and kind of go, "Ah, okay, you were hammering on that point like everybody else yeah, was yeah. at that time." You know, it starts to feel more like a sort of 
SNL throwaway sketch as opposed to like a timeless comedy. Yeah, yeah, I think something which I sort of touched on um, that we've also discovered over on Spotlight talking modern Trek compared to yeah. uh, past Trek is it feels like you know, the streaming landscape has just kind of changed the way stuff is structured. Like you get, you know, you get in these, all these Marvel shows and a lot mm. of the time it's like, is this just a movie slightly longer and chopped up? Like, is there any rhyme or reason yes. as to when the episode breaks happen? And it feels this has happened across sitcoms. It's happened across dramas mm. where it's like serialized to the nth degree where it, you, you know, it's, it's the binge model design where it's like, it's just, just do it all in one. Nothing's mm. really separate. And it really does feel like it hampers the rewatchability of these things. You you mm. might not randomly go, oh yeah, I fancy watching season two, episode five of some show that was designed to just be like consumed as one big movie essentially. Mm. And you know, this is perfect in case really where like any episode from the original series, you can pop out and put on and watch mm. and have a great laugh and kind of know where you are in the overall thing. Whereas right. uh, later stuff uh, and not just Arrested um, feels a lot more like it's for it's for consumption as and when it's out and maybe mm. just the once. And um, yeah, we, we chat this quite a fair bit on Spotlight being like, is anyone just dipping back in to watch Star Trek Discovery season two, episode five or whatever it is? Right, like, yeah. It's kind of all about the overall season arc. Yeah. Um, even when it gets it right, like in Picard season three, which we already enjoyed, that was kind of, that felt like a movie-ish storyline mm -hmm. done in a limited season type way done well. Um, but this is why I think we're seeing such good re reactions to something like uh, Strange New Worlds, yeah, um, which has embraced the episodic format a bit more and being like, yes, you know, standalone adventures, maybe there's some threads uh story threads that spread out across the show but really it's like oh this is the mm. one where this is the one where and i think we've kind of lost a bit of that this is the one where um structure and i think it helped back mm. in the day when you had to fill like 22 episode seasons you couldn't do everything to just be um one big thing whereas now of course you know you get a green light on stuff it's either maybe eight episodes or 10 episodes maybe the episodes are longer mm. um and i think we saw it change in real time in something like Ted Lasso which which I really enjoyed right to the end mm -hmm. but I mean season one because I started watching that when one of my housemates had seen seasons one and two and we we're about two months out from season three starting and she was like oh I'm gonna rewatch it again come along on this journey with me and I was like okay yeah because she sold it to me as this like 20 minute sitcom mm -hmm. which season one kind of is like episodes are sort of 20 to 25 minutes long and they're mm -hmm. very much this is the one where this is the one there and then by back in the season two and all of season three episodes are like 65 minutes long. And it's just yeah. like every character has something going on and it's just a continuous thing. It's not really broken down into episode stories anymore. Yeah. And so that's, that's just a very fascinating one where we literally watched a sitcom turn into a prestige drama in terms of the way it was being treated and rolled out. Mm. Um, and now you got stuff like, again, back to the Marvel stuff, mm -hmm. like Secret Invasion coming along and costing like 200 and something million. And it's like TV wasn't designed to be made this way. Like, you know, mm -hmm. they greenlit She-Hulk, which should have been the MCU sitcom yeah. and very much is in terms of uh, content and tone and structure in a way. But that by its uh, by its uh, rationale costs like 200 plus million as well. And it's like yeah. no sitcom on earth costs uh, studio blockbuster money. So they found themselves in this murky waters where they're trying to make marvel content tv yeah but with the same production values as the movies it's like this doesn't need to be like this no. the, the, the balance is something like game of thrones which is an expansive epic scope tv show 
but that's not trying to be a movie mm. and vice versa. So I don't know. I think it's a very interesting uh, time we find ourselves in. And I think we need more in the same way that maybe the box office for for movies is kind of mm-hmm. breaking a bit with some of the big, big flops we've had for studio stuff. Maybe right. this will usher in some uh, more interesting indie things again, especially if the, you know, the studios don't do deals with writers, but studi- smaller ones do. Yeah, uh, It'd be interesting in TV to see an avenue for just smaller scale stuff to come along again, but who knows? Yeah, I'd agree. And it's like, I, th- I think when you look at Arrested Development as as an example of this, I think perhaps where it really struggled in the return was exactly that. It's like, what what's the point of doing this? Um, mm. Is it to to give these guys a chance to, as you say, you know, really have a crack at bringing just some simple little episodes together? Do it like you did the original series, where there's a backdrop to it, but you don't have to be fully invested. You can just kind of dip in and out. Or are you trying to cash in on nostalgia? You're trying to cash in mm-hmm. on the, you know, like like it's like the Marvel stuff is a good example at the minute, where it's like, well, people know these things, they know these properties, so we're going to spend all this money, and make it really expansive, and you know, even the stuff like the episode length, like you mentioned, yeah, I understand that that was a a creative constriction, right, to get around advertising, but more often yeah. than not, if you listen to a lot of the behind the scenes on on that. I think that that kind of restrictive nature of it, it led to some really interesting creative choices. It led to people basically having to chop down episodes and keep the best stuff. And obviously that could be really frustrating sometimes because you'd lose a really good gag or you'd lose this thing and you think, oh man, I really want to keep that. Mm. But it means that, or at least in, in some of the more successful episodes, like the first few seasons of Rest of Development or even The Office or other shows like that, Parks and Rec, et cetera, et cetera. They had to whittle it down to 22 minutes and it has to be the best mm-hmm. 22 minutes. Whereas if you can just do whatever, or like yeah, yeah. you said, you make a series where you're like, well, we're not really sure. You know, we've been given $200 million. We're just going to make it and see what yeah. comes out. And there's no there's no constrictions. It, it kind of loses the momentum. It loses the meaning. It's like, okay, well, what are you making? Why are you making it? Just because yeah. we can. And it's like, okay. But why? It's the, it's the paradox of <laughs> it's the paradox of too much too much freedom resources, too much, resource. you know, yeah, too much yeah. freedom. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because I think there is a real a real art to you know the the twenty two minute episode thing, right? Because yeah, like like you say, you know, network um, restrictions and ads and stuff, but it it meant people were disciplined with stuff, and it mm. meant they were ringing every second for every gag it was worth. And mm. if that's not there, and you can be like, oh, maybe it'll be twenty five minutes, or maybe mm. it can go for forty, then it gets flabby. And I think the flabbiness is what we see more of these days. Whereas, yeah, um, those old stuff. And, you know, in in every other show of the era as well, you know, you get the ones that are really good mm. and uh, you can dissect it with a scalpel, you know. It's yeah. just like, this is, this is tight. It is, yeah. And, and again, that's probably where some of this did start to fall apart. And mm. I also wonder as well with some of this stuff, if the love for it is really there. I mean, again, I would argue that these these seasons, the the performers are putting in their best work. Like a lot of them are trying and a lot of them still bring what you love about the characters to it. But I can't imagine the drive is there to really make this Mm. work because a lot of them by this point are very successful actors or writers, directors, you know, they've had their career now. So it's like that yeah, thing, yeah. isn't it? If you're bringing these people back, that the hunger for it isn't necessarily there. You can you can just feel it, can't you? Yeah. There's, a, there's a difference between a show that is built on people who are 
fallen out of the public eye from the previous decade mm. and they're getting a second shot and it's a bunch of newcomers getting their first break versus inevitably having to bring back a bunch of now B to A listers perhaps uh, who are all very successful in their own right mm. and bringing the band back together. Um, it's just mm. a different vibe, you know, and it's yeah. harder. I think this is, there'll be more of this stuff as we get more sort of legacy cool stuff in TV as well, where it's like, oh, we, we're, we're green lighting an off delayed final season of something. Yeah. Um, as opposed to something new that takes risks and that casts newcomers, mm. uh, unknowns who are then going to take you by storm. And I think the, the show that maybe does the sort of belated final season, the best mm. is, um, uh, Samurai Jack, which is one of my favorite mm. animated shows of all time that, had like a four season run around the same time, sort of 2001 to four, and then mm. was forever trying to come back, couldn't, and then eventually did come back. I think 2017 or 18, it was a while later, um, mm. up on Adult Swim instead of Kai Network now, so they could be a bit more violent and stuff with it. And that just told like a final story. But even that, mm. even that was like a serialized final season, whereas before it was always just Jack's just hopping around and every episode is a different adventure. But yeah. it was done really well and it was a finite ending and the only thing that stopped it from being perfect was uh, that Mako who voiced Aku had died in the interim so they had to get um, sort of like a, a, a sounder like in for to be the main villain uh. and it's a shame because Mako's such a, a iconic uh, actor anyway so that's mm. the only downside but that's an example of it doing really well but mm. that's an animation that you can kind of get away with a bit more because you're not yeah. um, dealing with people being aged up if they shouldn't yeah do. and i guess to that point as well it sounds like they had a, a story to tell mm, you know yeah. they had something they wanted to bring bring this character back one last yeah. time one last you know adventure and then it it's done it very specifically had an ending it was going towards right. and didn't happen in the original series it's mm. like well let's let's end him off to the point where they they brought out some comics which i have as well which kind of mm. gave him a somewhat canon ending and then mm. they were like no actually this doesn't need to be canon anymore because we've got the final season coming so <laughs> there you go um and yeah and again i think this one kind of struggled with that uh from what i remember of the mm -hmm. final episode even the way it ends it, it sort of just ends and it's right. sort of there's a little <laughs> bit of a cliffhanger if i remember correctly um and i will put in a correction corner section if i am wrong but i'm pretty sure that it kind of ends with Buster still being up for um, murder of Lucille. Oh god! Oh god! There's, there's a whole like <laughs> episode. There's a whole thing of him like, is he guilty? Is he not guilty? And I think the episode just ends with like, oh yeah, he looks pretty guilty. And I think he even says I did it. And then you're kind of like, whoa, okay. <laughs> and it feels like something that would be resolved in a follow up season, but obviously that was four years ago now, and it looks like there's no chance of them wanting to come back i think because it wasn't as well received um yeah see now of course you know and you, obviously just you, you lost dead. yeah yeah you lost her and and i think this really is one that needs the whole mm. ensemble to really to really fire so mm. so it does kind of feel a bit of a shame because usually on this show when we talk about sitcoms a lot of the ones i've discussed have really good endings you know and they have exactly what you want like a nice wrap up for everybody this did feel like it just suddenly hit the brakes and stops dead. And you're like, okay, what's coming next? Or like maybe just a one-off movie or something just to kind of like tie everything up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's funny in my, in my head, because I, 
I was watching these on um, Disney Plus because I knew Disney Plus recently added the first three seasons. Right. In my head, it in my head it was because it'd gone off Netflix. So I was like, oh, it's kind of ironic now that you can't even watch seasons four and five. But I just looked and mm. it is still on Netflix with yeah. all five on there. But it's funny how if you just want to see the gold, then you just need to go to mm. Disney instead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, even like the way that the season three ends, you know, yes, it ends with a whole bunch of issues, you know, on a boat and all this craziness. Yeah, but you could have just well, left this it was, there. This is the era with the, yeah. um, you know, with the network ratings and things that really mm. made things get renewed or not. You can tell because there's that uh, season three, episode nine, where the whole gag of the episode is them desperately trying to mm. raise awareness with Ron Howard being like, "Please tell your friends about this show." <laughs> yeah, exactly. You can just tell they're dying in real time still, and they're like, "We need this to improve." Yeah, I think there's even a joke where it's something like they they use a uh, the acronym HBO for another business and he says like yeah hbo <laughs> yes. doesn't want to invest in us and like stuff like yeah. that or it, yeah it's very very meta and very brilliant the way it just weaves itself in it's yeah a lot of fun um and i can't remember if it's season four or season five where we we meet um ron howard in the real world that's what he shows up yeah in it yeah i think it might be season four again i will i will put a sting in if i've misremembered um but that was kind of fun that felt like a nice swing to like the old school meta nature of the show and to have mm. him pop up in it for like an episode or two was yeah it was quite fun but again it just it, it was just sort of yeah i suppose that's the thing it, when you compare it to like you said the original set it's sort of like yeah this is okay but i don't know yeah it's tough i think i think sitcoms especially are very hard to have stayed good across their whole run because either they were mm. the older network star where they might run and run yeah um and get a bit stale um there's there's very few that make it through and still be really strong um mm. like peep show for me is is gold top to bottom mm -hmm. uh always sunny has never really dipped and that's an impressive feat with how many of them there are yeah seinfeld's great yeah uh, all the way the last two seasons you could say are a bit, bit weaker but you know it doesn't that doesn't carry on beyond its welcome either so it's it's hard to stay good for longer or especially if you need to come back after a gap, then it's almost impossible to recapture. Yeah. Again, it's what comes back to what we were saying, isn't it? It's like you've got to have a purpose. You've got to have a reason for doing it rather than just saying, we've bought this property. Mm. Here it is. It's like, cool. Um, <laughs> what, what What's the story? <laughs> you know? Um, so yeah, I think a little bit of a weak thing every now and then, but bless them for trying. Um, I just seen Ron Howard is in technically, I think he's in seven episodes as himself, maybe, or hmm. I don't know if they're counting that because he narrates every single one. And I will just say that that as a as a framing device, and we mentioned it earlier, it is one of my favorite things ever. To have a narrator yeah. and to have Ron Howard of all people narrating yeah. it. It kind of really means that they can go quite complex on mm. their storylines because they always have him to sort of get you up to speed and explain stuff away. Yeah. And it's crazy because, you know, voiceover like that should be dead on arrival in terms yeah. of uh how compelling it is but it's just it's just so funny and like mm. you say here there's like the extra character yeah and that, that, like we mentioned earlier the fact that he'll interact with what's happening in the scene you know like it always yeah. lives rent free in my head there's like this other narration of like if someone says something and i'm like is that true there's a little ron howard that'll pop up in my head and go <laughs> it's not you know and stuff like that yeah. just like that deadpan he was far from the best yeah exactly yeah that like <laughs> deadpan um 
uh, what's it called? A sort of contradiction, I suppose, of of what's happening and what the characters are saying. It just works. Yeah, it just absolutely works. It's so funny. The strangest thing ever would be to have a phone call of Ron Howard because it would just be oh, that voice coming imagine? on the phone. Yeah, <laughs> just me laughing. It would. Yeah, that would that would absolutely blow your mind, wouldn't it? <laughs> um, but also, I kind of love that he was up for it. You know, at that point, it, it would be like the equivalent, almost like getting Steven Spielberg right or someone like that to come in and narrate yeah, it. to do it that you know for every episode as mm. well. I could see him being like, look, I'm helping to launch this show. I'll do it for a bit. But yeah. then, yeah, yeah, to be to be the one. That's great. It, yeah. Because it, it's not like he wasn't busy during this time. No, no, exactly. Yeah. I mean, just thinking about that, a lot of the guest actors in this as well, like they you know, they pulled some weight. You had like Charlie Theron pops up in there. You've got Kristen Wiig. You got, I think you mentioned it earlier, obviously like Judy Greer and Liza Minnelli. We've mentioned Ed, yeah, Ed Bagley Jr. as well one of my yeah, favorite yeah. recurring characters the guy with like no hair he's just got all this like really bad wig and everything just stuck on <laughs> his eyebrows, his eyebrows falling, falling off, off. <laughs> yeah stuff like that uh even henry winkler is one of the worst attorneys just ever are those balls they were balls last time <laughs> <laughs> but yeah in the in this in it's this time ron incredible. howard made the missing in 2003 cinderella man in 2005 and the da vinci code 2006 so he was making movies He's whilst a busy guy, yeah. Yeah. So again, fair play to him just committing to popping up and yeah, I'll I'll do this. I'll hop in a booth and narrate a show for, you know, a couple couple <laughs> of seasons. Why not? Oh, it's incredible. Um, I guess really I just want to just ask Matt before yeah. we kind of close out here. Was there anything else you want to bring up with this show or anything you sort of had in your notes? Oh, no, no. I think we covered a whole lot of it. Yeah. There was uh yeah, just tiny little bits for the ones I watched popping mm. up. But yeah, we covered covered so much. So yeah, it's it's I mean it's mm. still even just dipping into these, it I can tell it's either gonna be one that I can rewatch seasons one to three every few years, mm. I think, and uh, it will tickle me as it has done. Yeah. Yeah. I'd encourage you to try and get through the sort of last little bits. I'd just be curious for your thoughts. Yeah, now I guess now that it is season mm. four, they remixed it into that what I'm assuming is more mm. palatable versions. Cause I definitely would have done it in 2013 when it came on and was just like, Oh, these are character focused yeah. episodes that are really long. I don't know about this. So yeah, I'll mm. see if I can get through. <laughs> <laughs> what, a, what a note to end on. So. <laughs> but no, it's so cool, man. I appreciate it. And I just want to just uh, hand the floor over to you then my friend and just say thanks for coming on. And where can the good people find you if they don't? Yeah. Thanks for having me back. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Matt brothers two. Uh, that's where I'm on there and everything to do with my show is Paul Dano. Okay. At is Paul Dano. Okay. On Twitter and Instagram. So we will have just about finished our Clancy Brown season. Um, but do go back nice. and check out the Judy Greer one and everything Dano related in there. Uh, our next season will be another different, uh, actor um to be announced mm -hmm. um but we're going to start recording those in a month or so and then by then we should have enough to go back to dano and top up with everything else he's got coming up which is including stuff like spaceman his upcoming netflix movie with adam sandler and carrie mulligan uh dumb money um which i think is getting a cinema release this september i think and clancy brown is in it as well so if we're seeing the crossovers happen uh, and then the only other, only other mm. things on his docket is stuff like the Riddler comic he's been writing. That'll all be out um, by the time we get to talk about that. He's narrating a short documentary um, and he's appearing in some episodes of Donald Glover's Mr. and Mrs. Smith series. So it's all a, all a bit that. bitty still, but um, Spaceman and Dumb Money, the big mm. 
big movies for him. So yeah, and then we'll dive back into. We basically we we've planned out way too many um of these standalone seasons because we just got really mm. into kind of picking those type of actors and then thinking up pun names for the seasons and what the theme tunes could be. So we've we've got <laughs> we've got the show planned till about 2026, I think. So it's uh just going to be what order yeah. we do things in. Uh, so that's his Pordeno OK. And of course, I'm also across Spotlight Pod as well, which is the Star Trek show mm. from three non-Trekkies where we cover all things Star Trek from that perspective. So it very much started as a book club going through the uh, book club style show, going through the movies from three people with differing knowledge and experience with the show to see if we would mm -hmm. become Trekkies and to set us apart from all the great Star Trek shows out there that are from people who know what the hell they're talking about. Um, and mm -hmm. we do all sorts on there. We look at the new stuff. We pick up the old stuff. We do interviews. We do Spotlight in the Movies, where we chat about films mm. that aren't Star Trek, but are either starring or directed by major players in the Star Trek world. Um, yeah, one recent episode is we've, we've covered the episode Arena from the original series with comedian Dan Thomas, which was his pick. Um, great to go back to the original series, actually, because we've had a massive run of trying to catch up on all the new stuff, as there has been so much. So it was like, yeah. you know, Star Trek Discovery Season 3, Lower Deck Season 1, Picard Season 1, Picard Season 2, Lower Deck Season 2, Discovery Season 4, you know, on and on and on, Strange New World Season 1, Prodigy Season 1. So yeah. we finally kind of got all them out. So I think the next one will be Lower Deck, no, Strange New World Season 2, which is airing right now. We'll wait till that's all finished. And then Lower Deck Season 4. Um, then Discovery season five, but they're slowly starting to drop off. So Picard's done, Discovery mm. will be done after season five. Um, so we'll see where it goes. We just desperately want another movie in this world. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was thinking about that actually recently because yeah, it's been a while, hasn't it, since the last yeah. one? Was it Star Trek twenty sixteen? Yeah, that was basically that came out mm. in the July. We started the show in in the September, yeah. and the idea was that by the time we have talked about all the films they'll have made the fourth one and that'll be the the capper mm. and of course it never came uh, so check us out over so you're yeah. destined to keep going basically <laughs> so check us out over there and of course you know as i say recently retired but still very much up on all, all the pod catchers is sudden double deep where we looked at three words mm -hmm. linked uh, three films linked by word in the title so for the final episode we did instead of uh, our usual triple bill we did a film with sudden in the title, a film with double in the title, and a film with deep in the title. Um, nice. And we brought back all the co-hosts of the past as well. So it, it used to be Daryl and his friend Ben. Then they roped in Daryl's wife, Jeanette. So it's the three of them. Then Ben left and I took over. And then Jeanette left. So it was just me and Daryl. So for this final episode, it's mm -hmm. me, Daryl, Jeanette, and Ben all back for the uh, grand finale, which was, which was yeah wonderfully bittersweet and a great fun time. Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. But I mean, fair play. That's as I've said before, you're one of the busiest guys <laughs> I know in, in podcasting. So I appreciate that. And even whittling down to the two, as people would have just heard, doesn't mean that you're slowing down. If anything, you've got I more know. On, so. It's 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 all, all going the Dana stuff. And you know, I've I am a writer as well. Yeah. I've got a movie I'm gonna be writing mm. with a collaborator, which I'm slowly getting through. Wow. Uh, Daryl also is is writing a book on his end and keeping up with his music uh so yeah we mm -hmm. feel to be very busy and then yeah there's this little thing called a day job in there as well so i don't yeah. quite know how it all works <laughs> oh me neither but one day we'll figure it out <laughs> i'm sure but yeah matt thank you so much man it's a pleasure as always to speak to you thank you 
And there we have it. Thank you so much, Matt, for coming back onto the podcast and sharing your love of this legendary sitcom. I hope you guys listening really enjoyed this episode. Please be sure to go and give Matt a follow on his wonderful podcast. As you hear, they are all quite unique in their own way and all absolutely worth your time. You can find links to all of those in the show notes. Is Paul Dano okay? Spotlight and the recently retired Sudden Double Deep. All of that will be in the show notes for you to go and explore. And if you would like to get in touch with Matt and let him know what you thought of this episode and share any of your thoughts on Arrested Development, you can find his links in the show notes. Also, that would be his social media pages. Make sure you get in touch, let him know what you think, and let me know what you think also. You can find my social media links as well as a Discord server page, which will be up for this episode specifically. So if you enjoy this episode and you think, hey, I want to get in touch, I want to share my thoughts and feelings on Arrested Development, then by all means, check that out and reach out to me. I would love to hear from you. If you have enjoyed the episode and you would like to help out the podcast, then please consider doing a few simple things. First and foremost, just tell somebody. I really don't mind how you do that or who you tell. As long as you recommend the podcast in a positive way, it really does help the podcast to grow and find a new audience. If you want to do it via word of mouth, social media, in the middle of a boardroom meeting while you're selling bananas at a banana stand, I don't mind how you do it. It just really helps the podcast to grow. It's really the only way the podcast can grow. So please make sure that you do that. And if you would like to go ahead and click five stars on your favorite podcatcher of choice that you are listening to this on right now, then please do that. And please let me know that you've done that, whether it's leaving a five star review or a rating, please let me know because I want to give you a big thank you on the next episode of the podcast. It really is the least that I can do. And finally, if you would like to throw in a little bit of money towards the podcast, of course, there is zero obligation. But if you feel so inclined, please do check out the coffee donation page, the Redbubble and TeePublic merchandise stores, all of which are available in the links below. The merchandise stores feature the wonderful artwork designed by one Alex Jenkins. His details are also in the show notes if you want to get in touch and order some of your own custom artwork. Right, that's enough from me. I'll be back next week with a returning guest of the podcast discussing a little bit of a hidden gem in the sitcom world. It's one that I certainly wasn't aware of before the guest brought it to my attention, but I'm so glad that he did, and I had an absolute blast talking with him about it. So make sure you're back here next week for that episode. Until then, take good care, go and watch Arrested Development, go and check out Matt's podcast, and I will see you right back here for another episode of Fundamentals. Bye! But that's just part of living in an old house. And the longer you live there, the more it all just becomes normal. I'm waiting for the spin cycle. I think this is the first time I've ever seen your meat whistle, Bert. I believe that's true. Not a fan. <laughs> <laughs>